Today's guest talks to us about how her passion for sustainability and upcycling morphed into an interior design business. We talked to Bryony Ward of Gringley Bespoke. Welcome to the Hubcast, brought to you by the Interior Designers Hub, where we help and support interior designers to get trained, get into the industry, and to grow wildly successful businesses. If you want to work in the field you love, create the lifestyle you desire, and make the money you truly deserve, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Kate Hatherall. Let's get into it. I am so excited to be joined today by Bryony Ward, and we're going to find out all about how she became an interior designer. Hi, Bryony. How are you? Hi, Kate. Good, thank you. Excited to be here. Amazing. Well, we're very excited to have you. So, Bryony, tell us a little bit about yourself and the business that you run. Um, I run an interior design business called Gringley Bespoke. Um, it's based up at the top point of Nottinghamshire. Um, and it started off as a, a furniture upcycling business and I always had the intention that it would become interior design, um, a, an interior design company, but it very quickly um, turned over into into that and, and became that. And now I only offer um, furniture upcycling to clients that are having interior design services. Amazing. Okay, so it's really developed since you began that journey of setting up your own business. Yes, which was about three years ago. Amazing. And do you just serve the local area or do you serve, um, you know, a, a broader sort of demographic? Um, I mainly serve locally because I've got two young children, so I'm tied to the school runs and things like that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I have done projects, some projects further afield. Um, and it works. It can work well. It's, um, yeah, a bit of both. For the right project, I'm willing to travel. Amazing. And um, have you always been an interior designer or was this a career change for you? It was a career change. Um, I trained as a fashion designer and um, I did, studied fashion design at university and went into fashion design and then um, stopped working for companies when I was pregnant and started up my own firm and then quickly realized that working alongside um, having a child with my husband's working hours just wasn't going to be feasible so um, I took a few years off and had a break and two children and um, and redesigned our house we live in a cottage that was built in 1750 so Wow. It was a lot of work and yeah. And um, we did all of that DIY or the vast majority of it DIY. So just realised that that's where I had a passion for channeling my design um interests. So amazing. And what made you go from, you know, having enjoyed DIYing your own home to thinking, actually this is something that I could do professionally? So I didn't really think I could do it professionally without retraining. Um, I think I had it in my mind that in order to do something, I was going to need to um, have a qualification or my clients weren't going to take me seriously. And um, when I was upcycling furniture, a friend of 
a friend offered um, me some furniture because she was um, moving house and the current furniture wasn't going to suit, the antique furniture she had wasn't going to suit the new house she was moving into. And she wouldn't take any money for it. So instead, I invited her to my house. I was having a get-together with the friend that had introduced us. And um, she fell in love with our house and just said, I'd love you to help me to do our new house. And so it was an opportunity just not to be missed. So that actually paid for me to do a course in interior design. And I just went from one job to another. And I worked the whole way through doing a um, a course. But instead of going back to university, I just decided to do the job that I could do alongside already starting Greenly Bespoke. Amazing. And so how did you feel kind of being given that opportunity by from somebody? Obviously, it was you said you wanted to kind of, you know, it was an opportunity that you couldn't miss. But did you have sort of a sense of trepidation before you went in to do that? Absolutely, yes. And the idea that somebody else's home and was sort of in my, what I felt like were amateur hands at that time, um, I thought it was really a leap of faith for them to be trusting me with it. But then I've always had the belief that if somebody else can do it, why can't you do it? So, And that element of kind of learning on the job and sort of finding out as you go along seems to kind of be the way that you did that. Yeah, and I think doing both alongside each other, I've always um, loved reading interior design books and um, I'd already done quite a lot of learning without knowing that I had, I suppose. And lots of the skills that I'd learned for fashion design were transferable about colours and things like that. So, um Amazing. And I, I think um, we've we've actually had a few um, fashion designers on the Hubcast, funnily enough, it seems to be quite a sort of natural journey for some people. So what sorts of skills do you think from fashion design you were able to bring across into interior design? So I majored in knitwear design. I was a knitwear designer. Um, and so a really strong sense of colour was always important with knitwear. I'd, I worked for Lyle Scott at one point and I was having to notice minuscule differences between the different colour batches that would be then a whole range of jumpers and things like that. So um, how important even small changes in colour could make were that was something that I could already, I already knew the value of that. Um, and shape and form and um, working in a team and working with people as well. I don't think that you can really emphasise enough how much it, it matters to be able to work alongside other people. And all of my jobs in the fashion industry have been as part of a team. Absolutely. And I, th- I think, um, you know, we we focus on those transferable skills that are design related, like you say, you know, your awareness of colour and shape and form and things. But actually, a lot of the time, it's those kind of what we call soft skills that are really important, the ability to work with people, the ability to manage people, to negotiate things, all of that kind of stuff that's really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And did you um, feel that you had kind of the business skills that you needed or was that something else that you had to learn in addition to sort of the interior design? Yeah, it was something else that I definitely needed to learn. I did a bookkeeping course before starting Gringly Bespoke um, and I'd done business to A-level, but um, 
learning it on paper and knowing what a cash cow is and things like that just doesn't (laughs) really transfer to running your own interior design business and understanding the all of the organization the how to do the business side of things the what will make a business profitable I was in the really fortunate position I think of I hadn't earned a wage for a number of years while I was bringing the kids up so anything that I earned was um, a bonus and I was I was lucky that I always did break even and, and earn I only spent what I'd, I'd earned and that's why I wanted to do up the furniture to to do a um, a course in interior design but yeah I think regardless there is money to be made in interior design it's just going to sometimes focus your energies more if you do need to pay the bills and I think in some ways my business might have grown quicker sooner if I'd have had those pressures but it wasn't detrimental to me. No, no, not at all. And as you say, you know, you were able to kind of take it at your own pace. Um, but, you know, you've yeah. got there in whichever way, you know, was right for you in amongst, you know, your other commitments and bringing up your family as well. And how do you find that now? Um, you know, having the business, which obviously is now interior design, less of the upcycling, is it kind of the business that you'd hoped it would be? All the time I try and remind myself that I need to be it's me that's in charge of the business. It's me that gets to create the business that I want it to be. Um, And that I have to really know what the business is that I'm wanting to create to be able to create it. It's not just going to be magically become the business that I have in my mind. I really need to make every decision based on what that business is going to be. And, um, I've struggled because I'm quite, well, I'm very environmentally conscious and so much of the industry isn't based on environmental values. It certainly wasn't three years ago anywhere near as much as it is now. And that's really a positive change that I'm seeing in the industry. Um, But that sort of making that my priority felt at first like it wasn't going to be achievable in the area that I live, that it just wasn't going to be clients' main motivation. And it isn't. Even now, I don't I don't find that most of my clients have their main motivation as being um, the carbon footprint of the project. But, but I do think that they're more open to having that as a factor to consider within. And are you finding that there are more products available to you now that um, kind of meet, you know, tick the sustainability boxes than there were just a few years ago? There definitely are. And the trade shows a lot of um, the brands, especially the higher end brands, are becoming carbon positive or carbon neutral. And that's really positive. The thing is, I think it's very difficult to distinguish what's greenwashing and what's actual, you know, what, and most businesses, there's so much still um, sort of that they don't have to make transparent um, that actually they, they can claim to be green, but it isn't necessarily as green as, 
as you presume in that it is. That must um, make more work for you because if it's a value that's really important to you and you're having to kind of read past the, you know, the, the hype that they're putting out to mm. find out whether that is greenwashing or whether, in fact, this is truly a sustainable brand. Absolutely. And it is difficult. And I've, I've been at, at points where I've thought, how, how is it possible to do this, especially when you've got projects that are lower budget and there's a certain look that they want that you can't necessarily, and that isn't necessarily leaning into more environmentally friendly choices in the first place. Um, if, if they want a really modern, if clients want a really modern look, if, um, but I always think if I am providing clients with a room at the end of it that they are going to love and that has a timelessness to it that it is going to be able to be in place for a long time to come and will stand up to that then and have some resale value hopefully at the end of it so that it isn't um items that are just going to be put into um landfill at the end of a at the end of the end of their use and then that is something to be considered as well when I'm buying new products and that um sort of you know desire to reduce the carbon footprint the desire to um, procure sustainable products is that something that's always been with you a value that you've always held is that something that's come from working in fashion or is it something that you've become sort of more aware of as time's gone on it's um it's something not it isn't something that I was able to um, put into my fashion design um, career because the brands that I worked for, it just wasn't on the same page. It was something that I have always, um, as an individual and as a consumer, been very passionate about. And I just thought if if I'm building a business, then it has to, it's going to make me want to work hard for the business and if it involves all of the values that I hold dearest to me in my personal life. And um, so, yeah, it was a a bit of a no-brainer in that respect, but it it did actually, I did find it hard to marry up the two um, values at first. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in fashion particularly, but also in interior design, there is a huge amount of wastefulness. Um, and But I do think we're seeing a huge shift in that just within the last few years in particular. Um, you know, and you think of even, you know, big brands like Ikea that are asking you to bring back products that they can sell on again. You know, there's a real movement um, to make interiors more sustainable. But I also love what you said about making interiors timeless so that people don't want to be, you know, swapping things out regularly. And it is about creating that enduring style, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I always like to um, really get clients to a point where they understand what they want personally. Every interior should be different. It all should be based about what they want because then if it's truly them that it's expressing their family, their needs, their wants, and it's not just because they've seen it on Instagram recently and they think that that's the the look that they should be putting into their homes. And I think that that is going to be what they still love five, 10, 15 years down the the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, you know, those values kind of run through everything that you do. Um, In terms of your um, 
clients then. How do you tend to find clients? Is it word of mouth or is it through marketing activity? Um, Mainly it's been word of mouth. Um, I've had clients through Howes um, now and but we live in a lovely village that's very close-knit and at first it was enough just to start the business. My first um, three clients were my first commercial client was a a friend of ours um, and then after doing his his new sales office then he invited me to come and do their home and that was an amazing um, opportunity for me right at the beginning of the business both of those opportunities were great Um, and then it sort of snowballed from them friends and family and that learned that I was doing interior design now just naturally evolved really. So a lot of it's kind of word of mouth and that network spreading information for you. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And um so you um obviously you get the clients in through words of ma- through word of mouth. Do you do other marketing activities like do you post on Instagram or how you know how else do you reach people? I do post on Instagram. Um one of the next <laughs> things on my list of to do is to um look at the hubs, do the hubs um, marketing course. There's yeah. small that's the bit that I'm at on the training and yeah. I've loved loved the hubs training it's just been great to have that there as a as a tool I'm always telling myself that I'll do more of it than I have but I'm just slowly working through it um and yeah it's the first thing to fall off the bandwagon when it gets busy that is the first thing unfortunately that that goes and um I write for a local magazine I just do a monthly article for them and that I'll never miss the deadline. But Instagram is quite easy to just sort of think, oh, well, I'm too busy. I haven't got the time. Yeah. I need, yeah. And it's it's very hard to keep it consistent when you're juggling everything and trying to do all of the other things as well. Yeah. And I've had inquiries through Instagram, but as, as of yet, I haven't had a client through Instagram. Okay. So that might be a bit chicken and egg, but um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more you post, the more inquiries you get, but it's, you know, it is trying to keep up with it. And I know that lots of people struggle with, um, you know, the consistency on social media platforms. But, you know, as we've, um, as we've said, and as we see all of the time, most interior designers get clients through word of mouth and it is through those mm. in-person networks that you create as well. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree Amazing. with that. So thinking back kind of um, throughout your journey, um, becoming an interior designer, were there any things that um, kind of worried you or held you back at different stages? Um, I suppose I was worried that I needed to know everything. Um, mm. And I think the, the the thing about that that I've learned is that even the tradesmen that I use that I just specific into one area of the umbrella of the job that I do and I oversee I do um, project management now so I oversee the work that they're doing sometimes I'll be asking them a question and they just deal with that discipline and they'll have to go away and come back to me on it which is absolutely fine but I don't know why I expected myself to be able to on the the spot answer clients about questions that that's not 
it's not all my area of expertise. Yeah. Um, and we do get that sense, don't we, that we're expected to know everything about everything and we put higher expectations on ourselves than we do on others. Yeah. So I would say that sort of mindset held me back a bit at first because I'd, I'd worry about that and I'd worry that if I was saying to a client, I'll have to get back to you, that it, it made me look unprofessional. But actually, I think... Now I understand it's more professional to say, let me just double check on that and get back to you rather than answer on the spot and it not necessarily be as backed up an answer as you could be giving them. I love that. And have you found that clients dislike that or has it been absolutely fine to say to clients, actually, I want to get back to you on that? In all honesty, it doesn't happen that often because clients don't want to put you on the spot really they, they they don't always expect an immediate answer and when it does happen they're more than happy to just say yeah that's great you know I'll do a, I, I usually do a follow-up email to, to meeting so I'll just make sure that I've popped a note of it and get and get it into the follow-up no, absolutely. And and I think that's something that, you know, we see a lot as well is that people do feel that they have to be like the font of all knowledge at all times. But in fact, you don't go to, to a house to do an initial consultation and do the designing there and then, which is what I think a lot of people feel. You're meant to go and get the information, come away. And that's when the design work happens. And that's when you do the research about all of the details yeah. that you need. And so that fear in a way, although it's very real for people at the beginning of their journey, in fact, it's not something that crops up very often and even when it does it's okay to say to a client actually I need to get back to you on that yeah absolutely amazing so um if you were to go back to the beginning of this journey and give some advice to your younger self what do you think you would say I would stress the importance of community um I'm really lucky that I've got um the hub and, and finding the hub was amazing. Just, I think, the importance of, as a, as a solo entrepreneur, just the idea that you don't have to go through it all on your own, that you can have people that are going to support you and that are just going to ask those the same questions as you or have the answers to the questions that you need to have answered. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we see that as well. There are so many interior designers that are out there on their own. Um, and in fact, it doesn't have to be like that. There's huge community, um, huge collaboration that, you know, you can have there and you don't have to do it all on your own. No. And and I just think I would be open to helping other interior designers, whether they were in the area or um, further afield. I wouldn't feel like their competition, I would definitely feel that there's a place for all of us. Not every client is suitable to work with Gringly Bespoke. And therefore, there needs to be other interior designers that, you know, would be. And I'd, yeah. And we all bring something different to the party, don't we? And and those Absolutely. things are going to be right for some people and not right for other people. And that's kind of the, the beauty of having the diversity of all sorts of different designers, all sorts of different styles and working methods. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Okay. Bryony, it's been really fascinating hearing your journey to becoming an interior designer and how you got there. Before you go, would you be happy to play our game of designer this or that? 
Absolutely, I'd love to. Amazing. <laughs> All righty. So we've got one minute on the clock. Um, I'm going to give you sets of options and you have to choose one or the other. You can't choose both or neither. Um, and you've got one minute to give me your thoughts. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Scandi or Boho? Boho. Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen or Kelly Hoppen? Kelly Hoppen. Geometric or botanical? Botanical. Fire and ball or little green? Fire and ball, but both. <laughs> Victorian or Edwardian? Edwardian, because I'm doing a lovely project at the moment. Brass or chrome? Brass. Linen or velvet? Velvet. Art deco or pop art? Art deco. New or upcycled? Upcycled. Of course. Maximalist or minimalist? Maximalist. Spots or stripes? Stripes. Dark or light? Dark. Blinds or curtains? Curtains. Formal or casual? Casual. Amazing. And there is the timer. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay. Thank you, Bryony, um, for surviving one minute of designer this or that. (laughs) It's really interesting to hear your choices. Amazing. A bit tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bryony, thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, as I said, it's been really interesting hearing your journey. And I know that, you know, lots of designers will take huge value from hearing about how you've got to where you are today. If anybody would like to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Um, Instagram, um, Greenly Bespoke, at Greenly Bespoke, or through the website, which has got my um, email and everything on, so, and phone number. So it's... Um, www.greenlybespoke.co.uk amazing fantastic okay so if anybody wants to get in touch that's how you can get in touch with bryony um, and find out all you know more about her design work there as well bryony thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate it thanks for having me kate thank you for tuning into hubcast by the interior designers hub if you've enjoyed this podcast please take a screenshot and share it to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite social media channel. Make sure to tag me in at Interior Designers Hub and let me know what you enjoyed about this episode. I reply to each and every comment. I'd also like to offer you an incredible free gift, which is going to show you the exact roadmap that you need to take to become a wildly successful interior designer. It shares our secrets to business success. If you'd like to get your hands on that, head on over to interiordesignershub.co.uk forward slash roadmap right now. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.